It is so good to see all of you here. And what I, what I thought we would do is begin with a, a blessing on this place and a prayer. And I have asked uh, Doug and, and Kathy Renault, who are our, our, our prayer leaders. In fact, if on Monday night they meet for prayer, we'll be meeting somewhere in a room here. They'll figure that out. Anyways, we've asked Doug and Kathy, who are the head of our prayer team, to pray for us, to ask God to bless this place, bless you, bless all that God does here, and that all of our thoughts, everything that we do, will be centered upon Him, He and He alone. Everything else is uh, just us trying to worship Him the best we understand and best we know how. So, Doug, Kathy, would you please do that? What an awesome morning this morning. Isn't this great? I tell you, this is awesome. You know, the Lord says where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And there's a lot of treasure in this room for us, I'll tell you. A lot of treasure. Uh, We're going to do something just a hair different this morning, if you would. I'd like us to hold hands when we pray. You know, the truth is we can't be all we can be in Jesus Christ without each other. So as a symbol of love, a symbol of family, a symbol of unity, I'd like us to just hold on to each other and dedicate this this building and, and everyone here in it to the Lord. And I'm going to let my amazing wife start first. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just come before you filled with so much joy. Lord, it can hardly be contained. Lord, we do just thank you and bless you and praise you for your faithfulness. We thank you for you, you're the Heavenly Father. We thank you for the Son who gave everything for us. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us and leads us and guides us. Father, we want to praise you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you never left us nor forsaked us. Lord, thank you, Father, for every step along this journey. Thank you that we can enter your courts with praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Lord, all your blessings. Lord, we come and put them at your feet. We thank you. Bless Our dear pastor, bless the servants. Bless, Lord, all your people here. We thank you, Father, that in this transition, we have learned to walk side by side, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. And, Lord, we pray that this would be your church of your people. Lord, that, Father, we would make such a great, great impression on the people around. Lord, I pray that we would be that church that you want us to be. And it's in your son's glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you that you're the commander of the heavenly host, of the heavenly armies. But, Lord, we thank you. You're also our good and gracious and wonderful, loving Heavenly Father. Thank you that you care about each and every one in this place, individuals, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a a church united, a church that loves Jesus Christ and exalts your name. We pray for every square inch of this building, Lord, the cafe and all the classrooms. We pray, Lord, that there would be wonderful fellowship had in the cafe. And, and Lord, that Jesus Christ would be exalted in all the, all the uh, classrooms. And we also want to pray for the, the pastoral staff, whoever, whoever speaks behind this pulpit. We thank you for our pastor who loves you and loves your word and preaches the gospel line upon line. And we pray that whoever preaches the gospel in this pulpit would just exalt Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would pour your love and blessing through our pastor and give him the peace that passes all understanding. We ask that you'd help us to, to affect the community around us, Lord, that uh, you would make us meet for the master's use. We know it's you that saves, Lord, but we pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom to touch the hearts of those around us, Lord, that many would be saved. 
We commit this time into your hands, and we thank you for it. We give you all the glory in the matchless, worthy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks so much. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to find that this is a very, very wonderful place in Scripture for us this particular day, but it's not about moving into a new building, but it is the whole idea of how we walk with Christ and why Paul is setting such a tone here in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans so as to assure you and me of who we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, last week uh, as I was thinking about moving in here this week, I wondered, wow, what a, what a place in Scripture to be in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. It is uh, the high watermark as far as this book is concerned. And it might be, this chapter might be the high watermark in all of Scripture. And what is being done here is, is what Paul is trying to, to relay to the listener, to the believer in Jesus Christ, how secure we ought to be in our walk with Jesus Christ. And I, I entitled it last week, uh, uh, an Uncommon Love. And if you read with me here and listen to each and every word of this particular place in Scripture, from John chapter 8, from verse 31 to, to the end of the chapter, verse 39, listen to the love that is poured out upon us from our Savior. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God Almighty really is saying these words to us. And Paul begins in verse 31 with a rhetorical question. He does that often. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with, also with him freely give us all things? Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all of these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul writes in verse 38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's an amazing place in Scripture, to be honest with you. It is the very essence of what Paul is trying to do. Before I pray, let me just say this. You recognize fully that Paul has been teaching right now in this place in Scripture the whole idea of faith coming to Christ and believing in God through faith. Not a, through a religion, not through a denomination, but strictly through faith. Not things that you can do or things that you can give, but simply by faith and trusting in Christ you come to salvation. And in that whole lesson, he's been teaching us about grace. God's unmerited favor. 
God wants to pour out His love upon your life and my life. Here's the reason why. God wants to make sure that you do not lose hope nor lose sight of what He has in store for you while we are here on this earth. You see, Satan's plan is, is simple. He's, he wishes to dis, discourage you. He wishes to disarm all believers. And he wishes to take those who do not trust in Christ yet and move them away from the facts of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And Paul is fighting with every ounce of his soul for the very souls of the people he's trying to reach, allowing them to feel secure in who they are. And I believe Paul, by the grace of God, kind of explained himself in the 7th chapter in the 24th and 25th verses. He simply said to all the people who would listen to him, Wretched man that I am. Who, he said, will set me free from this body of death. He goes on to say, in verse uh, 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. On the one hand, he says, I myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But, with, but on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. And then he answers the question, Who will set me free? He says in chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you and me free from the law of sin and death. His point is to try to explain to those who will listen to him that nothing can take you out of the race of walking with and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing that is except your own inability to seed Satan's ploy in your life. I want to try and explain that this morning as clear as possible. If you remember last week, we mentioned through the, through the gentleman called Job in the Old Testament that every believer has this divine protection from God around them. The scenario was... The Lord said to Satan, this is in Job chapter 1. Just listen, and you can read it later if you so desire. I want to read to you verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said to him, from roaming about on the earth, walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? He says, there is no one like him on the earth. He is blameless. He's an upright man. He fears God, and he turns away from evil. Satan answered and said to the Lord, big deal. He didn't say big deal. That's kind of my word. But what, what Satan said to the Lord was there, does Job fear you for nothing? He says to God, Satan does, have you not made a hedge around him and around his house and around all that he has on every side? In other words, he is saying, I, I can't put my hand on him. I can't touch him. So why should he not love you? I have no, I have no, no cause in his life. I can't get to him. If you read on in that story, it's an amazing story. It, 
the Lord God allows Satan within some boundaries to get to Job. But Satan has now no call on your life as a believer. God has protected you on every side. I'm going to prove that to you through Paul this morning. Now let's pray. Father, please, would you open up our eyes and would you open up our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Father, would you please move me aside. Do not allow me to interfere with what you want to say to every person here. Each of us, Father, is unique. Each of us, Father, uh, each of us want to become hopefully like you. But some of us, Father, here in this room fight this battle wondering how, how in the world do we do this? Please teach us, Lord. I pray that you would move me aside. I pray that you would just open up our hearts so that we might hear from you and not from me. So bless us, Father. Bless this church as Doug and Kathy have already said. Bless every part of it. And, and into this community, Father, may we, we, may we truly be a light in this area. May we draw people to the rock, the very Son of God. I pray these things in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This chapter is incredible. Paul is speaking of the great love and care that our Lord has towards those of us who trust and believe in Jesus Christ. Satan is continually bringing charges against God's elect. He is either accusing or seeking to devour us. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, New Testament, it says, The accuser of the brethren, in other words, Satan, has been thrown down to the earth, he who accuses them, the believers, before our God constantly, day and night. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, he warns us. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But both of those charges in your life and my life as a believer in Jesus Christ, amounts to nothing before the Lord. Because, as we will learn now, in verses 33 and 34, Jesus Christ is the one who justifies, He is the one who condemns, and He is also the one who intercedes or prayers, prays on our behalf. You see, Paul, speaking on behalf of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in verse 31, If God is for you, who can be against you? And we learned last week that the word if is a very little word, but it's powerful. It, it means that there is no allowance for doubt. It's not if, but since or because God is for you, who can be against you? It is a fulfilled condition, not just a possibility. Therefore, it isn't maybe. It is because God is for you who can be against you. You see, He is the righteous one who decides who is righteous and who is not. He is the righteous one who has chosen how we 
are to come to him. And he's made it all about faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So Paul declares that those who are in Christ Jesus have been declared by God eternally guiltless. No longer under any condemnation of an all-forgiving God. That's why I believe Paul began all this by saying, Hey, look, you think you're bad? I'm a wretched man. Who is going to set us free? Thanks be to God, it has been done through Jesus Christ. Therefore, he starts chapter 8 by saying, There's no condemnation for those of us who are in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has set us free from the law of sin and death. We're free in Christ. Therefore, there's no condemnation upon you or me. You see, the only one who can condemn you is your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if you've trusted in Him. God has conceived the law. God has revealed the law. God has interpreted the law. And God applies the law. We're just to do as He says. We have no right to make any of this up. We have no right to try to say, well, maybe you should do it this way. No, we have not that right. We can only proclaim what the Bible says we're to do. And the Bible says that you and I are to come. I'm going to fall off this thing as sure as I'm alive. I need a little bump here, you know, one of those little railings. <laughs> but God has, has allowed you and me to be free because of a son, Jesus Christ. And he wants you and me to be conformed into his image. And the wonders of that is, for those of you who are investigating this thing called faith in Jesus Christ, to be conformed into the image of Christ doesn't mean you become a cookie-cutter Christian. You don't become like this person or that person. God has uniquely made you, and he wants you to be just as you are in Christ, to be conformed into the image of Christ, but it doesn't mean that you have to be like the other person. No, God... God can conform you into the image of His Son just as you are. And so the wonders of that is to investigate who is He? What does He mean to me in my life? And the more you and I understand who He is, the more we want to be conformed like Him. And the less and less, you know, I used to listen to messages and think, man, if only that person over there could have heard that, that would have changed their life. And I realized that wasn't the purpose of me studying the Bible. The purpose for me to study the Bible is so that I would see what I need to do to change my life to be conformed into the image of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let the other person alone. Let God deal with that person. Let God deal with me. And I'm the one that can help change my life. So what did God do when he conceived the law, revealed the law, interpreted the law, and applied the law through the sacrifice of his son? All the demands of the law have been met, but only by those of us who have placed our faith and our trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 32 leads Paul to write that God's grace is freely given. We talked about that a little bit last week. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered His Son over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? And what Paul very wonderfully does is narrow the picture down so that you and I could see who it is that we are to deal with, who it is that we are to worship. And it all falls upon that one who was not spared by His Father, God the Father and God the Son, but God the Father delivered His Son over for us all, how will He not also with Him give us all freely all things? Remember, freely gives was a kind of an extensive Greek word. It was C-H-A-R-I-Z-O-M-A-I. It literally means to bestow upon one person or another graciously or to give out of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. So God's unlimited forgiveness and God's unmerited grace has been freely given to us all who are in His Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, God's love upon you and me makes it impossible. Let me repeat that. Makes it impossible for a believer to send themselves out of God's grace or His unmerited favor. Listen, that makes true sense because when Paul taught this premise in, in the book of Romans, when he taught to the people in Rome about God's grace, this unmerited favor, do you remember their response? When he said to them, God has forgiven you all your sins. He has given you unlimited grace. He has given you His unmerited favor so that your sins past, your sins present, and your sins future have all been forgiven. What did they say? They said, Wow, if He loves us that much with grace, maybe we should sin more. It'll make Him look better. And what did Paul say? God forbid. No, I am telling and teaching you that, Paul is saying, so that you understand how secure you are in Christ, so that when the enemy comes against you, he will not take you out of the race. I believe that's the whole premise of really understanding God's grace. So that you and I do not drop out because we've done something wrong. Freely given includes the idea of God's gracious forgiveness as well as His gracious giving. In other words, faith in Jesus Christ means He freely gives to you His grace and He freely forgives you of all things. I don't think it was an accident. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Peter came to Jesus Christ. I think you'll remember the story as soon as I start it. You can look at it if you wish. He comes to Jesus Christ. Peter does. And I think, doesn't say this here, it's just my guess, that Peter's a little full of himself. And he asks the Lord, If someone sins against me, Lord, how often should I forgive him? Seven times? What does Jesus say? I bet you remember this. Some of you do. What? Seven? Seventy times seven. Or seven times seventy. Whatever it goes, whichever way. No, he says to him, no, no, Peter. No, no, not at all. You don't forgive him seven times. You forgive him seven times seventy. That means you forgive him every time, Peter. There's no limit on, on forgiveness. There's no limit on my grace. You forgive them every time. 
It's a very simple statement by our Lord. It's, it's the whole idea of how often our Lord is willing to forgive us the moment we come to Him. In other words, every time. Well, that brings us to a very important part of this. And that is, what's the difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you sin and the accusation of Satan when you sin? It's good to understand this, and I want to try and teach this to you this morning. The Holy Spirit's work in your life and in my life is to convict us. Jesus said a very amazing thing in John chapter 16. He told the disciples in verses 7 through 11, I'm going to go away now, but he says it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to ask the Helper, in other words, the Holy Spirit, to come and to be with you. And when He comes and He is with you, He will then convict the world concerning... This is John chapter 16, verse 8. I will convict the world, He will, the Holy Spirit, of sin and righteousness and judgment. The result ought to be for a believer, when the Holy Spirit comes and convicts you and me of our sin, we ought to go to God immediately. I'm not one that likes to say, well, if you're convicted of sin, just mark it down and and maybe at nighttime when you pray to God, then you can confess it. No, I, I say to you, the moment you are convicted of sin, you deal with it right then and there, immediately. Because it is the blessing of the Holy Spirit that He wants to, wants to give to you the promised forgiveness of God. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we, talking to believers, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise out of the Word of God. He wants to forgive us and restore us into a fellowship with God. For the believer, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, it is a positive, redeeming response, I I guess you should say. It brings us into a right relationship either with God or let's say I did something, God forbid, against Gordon. And, and, And I go to him and I say, Gordon, please forgive me. I did that wrong and I ask your forgiveness. And he says, yes, you are forgiven. We have then our fellowship is restored and we're back together. It's a it's a wonderful, redeeming, cleansing thing that goes on in the life of a believer. On the other hand, The aim of Satan is to point out exactly the same sin, but Satan does not point out your sin or your faults for confession or repentance, but to oppress you, to paralyze you, to destroy you with guilt so you feel that you are unworthy to serve the Lord. He comes against us over our sins, Satan does, to let us know how, faith, how unfaithful we are, to let us know how wretched we are, so that we might stop serving the Lord, feeling we're not worthy to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Satan would wish to hinder our growth, perhaps taking us out of the race. I cannot tell you how many people I've come in contact with that stopped going to church because there was a sin in their life and they felt just depressed by it and they didn't want to be around other fellow believers. For goodness sakes, people, that's the very time we ought to be around other believers. 
That's the very time that we need one another to encourage one another and to build each other up. Not to move away from serving the Lord. Do you remember what happened in the garden? I know you do. Remember, Eve was tempted by Satan. And she took of the fruit and she ate. God said, don't do that. And, the, and she did. Then she gave it to her husband and he ate. And, and then they heard the Lord God, which is one of my wife's favorite passages, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? What? Yeah. Boy, I love you guys. You're a great congregation. They hid. They hid from God. They, they, they didn't want to see him. Why? Because he asked them, why are you hiding? Well, have you eaten from, the, true, from the, the fruit from which I told you not to eat? And they said, yeah, we did. They sinned. He then and there dealt with their sin. He, he clothed them, and he clothed them with an animal. And to clothe them with an animal, there had to be the shedding of blood. And that whole process of blood and forgiveness started there in the garden. Satan wants to disarm you from your faith. He wants to take you away from serving the Lord God. That's the reason he convicts. The reason the Holy Spirit convicts is to arm you, to strengthen you in your walk, to be in the race and not to get out of it. So if you have dealt with your sin, if you've confessed your sin, and you hear a voice inside of you saying, lying to you, really, how can you be a Christian? Look at what you just did. How could God ever use someone like you? It is then you ought to say, be gone, Satan. Get behind me. Because you should remember what Paul wrote in verse 33. Who will lay a charge against God's elect? And you can say boldly, Satan, you have nothing to say against me because I am justified because it is God who justifies me. That's the point that Paul is trying to make here. God is the supreme judge. He has declared all justification through your faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ, His Son. Then he says in verse 34, Who is the one that's going to condemn you then? The ultimate condemner of sin is God, not Satan. For only God can condemn sin. So Paul reminds us in verse 34 that Jesus Christ is the one who died. He is the one we are to worship. More than that, He was raised from the dead to life and He is now at the right hand of God the Father interceding, praying for you and me. Christ was condemned for you and for me upon the cross. He went to the cross for our sin. He shed his blood for our sin. Our sin was condemned by God through his son on the cross. And so what possible condemnation is left to be heaped upon us? The word is none. Jesus took it all. There may be people that condemn you but the only one who can truly condemn you is, is the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, justifying for you and interceding for you. The biblical imagery here is exactly the idea that Paul gives to all the saints in Christ Jesus. We have Christ, 
appointed by the Father to be the judge of this world. So Paul now is speaking in legal terms, really, what he's doing here. Jesus Christ is the very one who, who stands in judgment over the world. And he is three things I saw from Scripture. He is our advocate. You know what an advocate is? An advocate is a person who speaks on your behalf, in your favor. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we are told that Jesus Christ, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's your advocate. He is the one who speaks on your behalf when you sin. He not only is our advocate, but he is also our judge. John chapter 5 verse 22 says, Jesus speaking, Not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. So Jesus Christ is our advocate and he is our judge. And now as we are here on this earth living today, he is also our prayer warrior, our intercessor. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says that Jesus Christ is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Let me just read that one more time. Hebrews chapter 7. That's not the whole thing. I've not even gotten to the point that I want to get to about prayer. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for you. He's always praying for you. So God has your and my sin covered. Jesus Christ is our advocate, He is our judge, and He is our intercessor. He is our prayer warrior. So therefore, Paul begins this great chapter in 8, Chapter 8, verse 1, by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Which leads logically to Paul's next rhetorical question. We'll get to it further next week, but let me just bounce it off of you. He asks a rhetorical question. Then, since all of this is true, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? The word is, well, yeah, well, you're good to know. It's nobody. Does that mean you won't come back next week? No, please come. Please come and listen to this, the great closing of this great chapter. It is incredible. Paul wrote these amazing words in Philippians, the first chapter, the sixth verse. He says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. He will complete it until the day of Christ. Satan wants to enable you. He wants to render you... What? What's a good word? Powerless. Thanks. He wants to render you powerless. He wants you to get out of the race. Because if, if he does, that's one less that he has to worry about. You have no idea who you might meet today, who you might come in contact today that might impact this world for Christ maybe 10, 15 years from now. Who knows? He wants to render you and me inactive. God, on the other hand, through the Holy Spirit, wants to 
redeem us. He wants to bring us back. Sin is not our enemy, folks. Not dealing with it is the enemy. Those who might say bad things against you, they aren't the enemy. You believing it in your own self, that's the enemy. I gave this example in the first service, and I'll close with this. We're two minutes early. It gets to a place where you, when you deal with your sin immediately, it becomes a benefit for you. And I, 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 I would see sin as, as this. I sinned against God, and I said, Oh, Lord, please forgive me. That was wrong. I ask your forgiveness. And I go my way, and sooner or later I sin again. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. I did it again. Uh, I ask your forgiveness. And, oh, Lord, I did it again. It gets to a place when I start confessing it that all of a sudden I stop. I just stop in the midst of what I would normally do as a sin. And I find that I have stopped. And I found that in my life there are certain things that I used to do so often that I, I can't hardly remember doing them. That doesn't mean I don't do other things or any other things. My point is, don't allow Satan to stop you from the blessings of being restored back into the fellowship with the Father. Deal with your sin. See it as a positive thing, that it brings you back into the family of God. It brings you back into all the wonders of serving each other and, and hopefully reaching into this community and loving as many people as we possibly can. Now, Britton, thank you for coming. I love you so much. For all of you, thank you for being here. What a privilege to be in this building with you at this day. I pray that God will really bless you all. For those of you that are visiting with us, and here I, I uh, hope it doesn't sound strange, but every week I tell you I love you. I do. I love you very much, and I pray that God will bless you. And I pray that you'll come to investigate more about uh, your Savior. He so wants to have a relationship with you. I pray that that's true. For those of us who know him, I pray that you will not allow Satan to stop you from serving the Lord and and realizing all the blessings that God wants to pour out in your heart. Mickey, again, thank you for all that you did um, here in this building. Your footprints will... (coughs) Your footprints will forever be in this place. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. Thank you for this church, the people of it. Bless us, Father, as we go from here. Now we've had our first Sunday, Lord. We've looked forward to this so long. I pray that you'll bless each and every time we gather together, whenever it is, and that above everything that we do, we honor you. We honor you with our lives. We honor you with our worship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Amen.